0: Uh, So we've been announcing it to our our young people, and we have some invitations for it out on the uh, Welcome Center desk. So if you know uh, somebody that fits in that age group, encourage them to come. We're going to have workshops on the issue that we've been talking about here, LGBTQ and the, the Bible. I'll be doing a message to the whole group from Acts chapter 17 and Paul's encounter with the Athenian philosophers there and how he defended the faith in the face of un- unbelief and even some hostility and uh there'll be one on uh is god is god uh fair uh a workshop on that and then uh also a workshop in is jesus the only way and some other speakers as well so i think it'll be a good day uh so if you know anybody in that age group encourage them to attend on wednesday the 24th of january wednesday night we have jonathan lehman and you see uh, what he's going to be speaking on we've chosen to have him at the beginning of this coming year because it's an election year and it would be great with me if we most of us could get our minds and hearts set properly for the barrage that is sure to come of misinformation disinformation and fear-mongering to scare people uh, which and fear motivates and so you're gonna see a lot of that uh, happening and you're gonna see a lot of false information coming your way. And we want, to, we want to get out of that business that too many Christians have been in for too many years uh, uh, of late in the last you know seven, eight years. And so I saw that happen in the past. Uh, would love not to see a repeat of that again for our, for our own witness and our own individual spiritual growth. So from a pastoral standpoint, I wanted someone like Jonathan with his expertise. He is an elder at his church in Maryland, but he's written extensively on these issues, so he's a perfect person to do that. So mark that. So Wednesday night, will be at 6 o'clock for Jonathan Lehman. And then we will restart our Wednesday night normal programs the following week. On January the 31st, our midweek program resumes. All right, this is the ninth of 10 weeks in our series, God's Design for Sexuality. I remind you that all of life is God-centered and God-referential. We have some additional copies, so anybody need a copy? Anybody give up their copy of the notes that needs a replacement? Because Manny has some here. Who needs? we need one? Got one over here? That's John Jones. He's our music leader, <laughs> and uh, he's a he's a part-time staff member at the uh, church, but he doesn't bring his notes with him apparently. So. <laughs> Anybody else need, uh, need their notes? All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for getting those extra, extra notes out there. So all of life is God-centered, God-referential. And that means in the way we deal with any issue, we need to start with God and including this issue of sexuality. So in the title, God's Design, it on purpose is a, a titled that way, to begin with God, And we have seen that to have a framework to deal with this issue, you must start with God in your argumentation, in making your presentation to to others, showing them the necessity of God for things like logic. If If we're going to debate, if we're going to discuss, and we're going to use logic, we need to think about, go behind that, to think about where did laws of logic come from? If there are absolute morals in in the world, how are they absolute and by whom were they made absolute? Uh, For existence itself, I spent some time in our very first session talking about about that. And then for purpose, thus the name design. And then you could say God's design for and fill in the blank any issue that you're talking about. It happens to be sexuality that we're dealing with here, but it could be any other issue. And I think that's the kind of framework that Christians ought to use in their defense of the faith and going on offense with regard to what it is we believe as well. But all of that then gives, uh, the necessity of God is is for logic and morals and existence and other things, including purpose and design. So people understand, all people understand, non-Christian people understand that there is purpose and design. And you hear that in the way that people talk if people ever use the word wrong well then that assumes that there's a right correct if if anybody ever speaks of abnormal that then assumes normal if anybody speaks of disorder that assumes order and of course people talk that way all the time in so doing then they are assuming design and purpose well then from whom do we get the design and the purpose And one of the functions of purpose and design is that they expose deviations. If there is a design, then things that don't measure up to the design deviate. And so you have words like, that person is deviant. Well, what we mean by that is that their behavior is not according to a standard. It's not according to according to design or we might say that person's a pervert and that also departs from from the design in the case of a deviant it's a departure departure from the norm in the case of a pervert or perversion it destroys the norm but in both of them they still have back of them this assumption that there is such a thing as a standard there is such a thing as the norm. So we must constantly bring folks back to that and bring our own thinking back to that as well. All of life and all of its issues are God-centered and God-referential. Now here's how we can depart from that. Everything I just said, you guys all I'll agree with. I'm quite sure of that. Here's where we can, I think, unconsciously depart from that. We can condemn homosexuality by focusing on it being a deviation not from God, but from nature. And you hear that a lot with regard to condemnations of homosexuality. It's unnatural. It is unnatural. But we can't stop there as Christians as we think about why anything is wrong, including homosexuality. It's not wrong simply because it deviates from from nature. But rather, it's because it deviates from the purpose of the God of nature. Nature has design because there's a God who's designed nature. So we still have to make sure that we bring it back to being God referential. In fact, all sin, all sin of whatever type, is against (laughs) supernature it's against the one who is outside of nature outside of the created world and the way he made it and all of sin homosexuality violates nature true but that's only important because there's a god who's given us that that nature and that that design but all other sin does that as well so when a man or a woman, but when any of us focuses upon the physical body of another human being and treats it on a screen or on paper in the form of pornography, and we treat another human being as an object, we are violating supernature. It might be so-called natural pornography, heterosexual pornography, It might be a man looking at a woman or a woman looking at a man, but it's still a violation of God's standard for sexuality and for the human body. It violates the, and here's an important term for us as Christians, it violates the human flourishing that God intends for His world it's not okay to treat human beings as objects in any sense, including a sexual sense. And when we do that, the consequences of that are the flourishing that God intends in His goodness for His world is thwarted. Conversely, the reason Christian mores, Christian values, are good for a culture is because they promote human flourishing. They promote human flourishing because the God who designed it has made it to operate in a particular way. And when we do that, things go, things go much better, infinitely better. Now, the reason I have to throw in the caveat, I don't say they go perfect because we're in a fallen world, and that'll wait till later. But they go infinitely better when we are, stay within God's design for humanity in all of its aspects, including sexuality. So human flourishing is something that we should champion, because God is the one who made humanity, God is the one who made the world in which humanity is designed to live and to carry out His bidding, and we ought to champion human flourishing in the marketplace of ideas as we're debating people. And they say, well, why do you care about whether or not we have laws with regard to homosexual behavior or homosexual marriage or homosexual adoption or surrogacy, having a baby to give for the purpose of giving to people who cannot have babies in the very nature of the case, if it's two men and and two women together? So why do do you want to restrict any of that? If it's not even all of that, why do you want to restrict any of that? The answer is, is because it harms human flourishing. As you start to play this out, you start to see unintended consequences for these kinds of behaviors. And next week in our last week, I want to talk about some of those. So human flourishing is something that should become part of our vocabulary and part of our thinking. So is homosexuality worse than other sins? It is worse in that a culture only gets to promotion of homosexuality gradually. We only get there gradually. It takes a lot of time for a culture to degenerate to the point that it begins to accept Something that is so obviously yes against nature, but again, the reason we care about it is because it violates the norms of the God of nature. And yes, it is worse in that sense, in that a culture only gets there gradually. No culture starts with homosexuality and then moves toward heterosexuality, right? It's always the other way around, and it takes, it takes centuries it take, it's taken centuries, millennia, for civilizations to come to the point that we are legalizing homosexual, homosexual marriage, for example. So that is a culture. Now, I want to encourage you to make a distinction between a culture that practices and promotes homosexuality and individuals within that culture. We are now a culture that is doing that. Obviously, you see it—you see it all around you in many ways—and we have a culture war, where one of the battles in that war is this issue of homosexuality, and how and in what ways this will be uh, this will be imposed upon the citizenry, and in particular upon our young people. But our young people are growing up in an environment, in a culture that is different than the one I grew up in. I'm older than most of you. But it's different because this has happened so rapidly. It's also different than the one the rest of you grew up in as well, for the most part. Except some of the very youngest among us. So think about then a young person Now growing up in a culture that tells you the culture is screaming at you, this is okay. I mean, back in the day, you had the culture militating against people going down this road. If a if a if a girl saw herself as a tomboy, you guys remember that language? Right? So if she saw herself as a tomboy, people would just say she'll grow out of it. And guess what? 99% of the time, that's exactly what happened. And even if you had a young lady or a young man who, you know, wondered, why am I attracted to members of the, of the same sex? They would take time. They wouldn't say that to anyone. They wouldn't act upon it. And then over time, then they would conform to the cultural norm. But now you're in a culture where you're being told that's not only okay, it violates who you are as a person for you not to come out and be loud and proud. So if you're a, a, a child in junior high and you're having those kinds of feelings, which, which kids have had for forever, but you're having that now, you're going to be told something different. So I ask you this, is that child, is that 7th grader, that 8th grader, a worse sinner than a guy who beats his wife? Even though homosexuality in the Bible is presented as a very stark sin, Romans chapter 1, in its indictment upon human nature, and it is, Even though homosexuality is one of the sins in the first part of your Bible, where there was a very severe punishment associated with it. And so we then can come away from that and we go, okay, homosexuality is worse. Preachers then preach in ways that say this is an abomination to God and therefore in the Old Testament people were stoned for doing this and and we preach that way and you've got a 13-year-old kid in your congregation. And does, does the Old Testament law of Israel apply to that 13-year-old in our congregation the same way it did then? The answer is no. We're not in the theocracy of Israel. The laws of God in the Old Testament certainly tell us something about the nature of God and what it is that he loves and what it is he hates and what he wants to see promoted and what's he want, what he wants to see uh, inhibited. That's all true. But when the Bible in Romans chapter 1 uses homosexuality as an example of how human nature goes, it's talking about cultures and societies. So we have to have the courage to say what Romans 1 says. We have to have the courage to call homosexuality sin, as you have heard me say over and over again, and I will always say, because the Bible does. And then at the same time, to now step back and go, what do we do with that 13-year-old? Because that poor kid's been lied to. You see, when, a, when a, th- a 13-year-old grew up in ancient Israel, they weren't lied to about this. It was very clear to them. If someone went and violated the laws of God, they were stepping over all of that. Now a young person, in their mind, in, at school, among their peers, they're not violating anything. In fact... They're doing the right thing by being honest about who they are. That's what they're being told. So I'm encouraging you to think about then this issue biblically and holistically. There's what the Bible says about sin. There's what the Bible says about the sin of homosexuality. There is the effects that homosexuality has upon human flourishing. There's the fact that in the first part of the Bible, there was capital punishment for homosexual behavior. In these notes that you have on the second page, I think, I gave a reason for that because it affected, adversely affected the future of the nation because God wanted to see the nation flourish, including be fruitful and multiply. Homosexuality can't do that. So it was one of the reasons that God was so serious about stamping it out. But yes, and it violates nature. Romans chapter 1 presents that as a stark example of the descent of human sin in a culture, in a society. And we have now entered a time where Christian families and Bible-believing churches have to deal with individuals who are struggling with things that would have passed in the past and now are becoming your identity. This is who I am. Mom and Dad, I'm gay. What do we do? Now, at the end of our session last week, I gave some thoughts about how we treat families, young people, how we band together to support each other in this brave new world in which we have in which we have entered. But for 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 this session, in this point, I simply want to underscore the idea that. We have young people in our culture now who in many respects, in my view, are victimized by adults. What our culture really needs is adults in the room. Adults in positions of authority throughout our culture who will say, no, that's not right. No, that you... you, you don't need to declare yourself at age 12 or age 13 and then take it even further, get an operation that you'll never be able to change for the rest of your life. And so for, for my part, who do I blame primarily for that junior hire or that high school kid who in their struggles, struggles that people have had for, for centuries, But the way in which it's now being acted out, who do I blame for that? I blame the adults that are supposed to be in charge. That includes parents. That includes teachers. That includes politicians. That includes churches who are turning a blind eye. And we are harming our kids in so doing. So homosexuality is worse in the sense that a culture only gets there gradually. But then we don't deal with, when we're counseling people and we're ministering to people, when I'm doing that, I'm not dealing with a culture, I'm dealing with somebody with a name. I'm dealing with somebody in a family. I'm dealing with a a soul that will exist for eternity. And I have to deal with that person as an individual. I have to deal with that 13-year-old, that 15-year-old. And as I do that, I don't tell that 13-year-old, you're the worst sinner that's ever walked the earth. I tell that kid what I said at the end of last week, we love you. We want God's best for you. And we're going to be the adults in the room that you haven't had. And we're going to lovingly tell you the truth about this and how you move forward through it and then, Lord willing, beyond it. Now here's the here's the good news. You guys want some good news? <laughs> the culture, as cowardly as it is, and the adults in our in our culture as cowardly as they are, the good news is they can't live with the consequences of their own worldview. What this if this is allowed to slide in the direction it's been going and it may not. I'll tell you why in a minute. But if it continues, then it's going to result in broken bodies, broken people, broken homes. And do you know where they're going to have to come for healing? To the adults who were here all along. To the adults who knew the deal all along and told the truth all along and were compassionate all along. So if that continues, we'll see people that we get opportunity to minister to. And, and by God's grace, we'll be a beacon of his love and his light to do that very thing. Now, I say it may not continue to slide as it has now because they can't live with the consequences of it. And, they're, and, and so even people who are non-Christians, they're looking at it going, okay, what? So my daughter, say that again? My daughter is going into the locker room with a kid who on Friday was a boy but now declares himself to be a girl coming into the locker room. Nah. And you don't have to be a Christian to say nah, right? And so there is is pushback on that as fully expected, and we'll see how 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 that goes. But either way, our position doesn't change. We say what God says about it, we say it compassionately and with love, and we treat people as individuals. And so to those young people, to the, particularly to the children and teenagers who are being misserved, who are being harmed by adults, I see them primarily as victims in this, who we want to snatch from the clutches of that lifestyle. So it's homosexuality, like all sin, in that all sin uh, is has the same root, and all sin has the same solution. It's not like all sin, culturally, in the effects that it has upon a a society, and the Bible uses it as a stark example of where human nature can go if it goes on unfettered. Page 22. Bottom of page 22. Can homosexuals change? Homosexuality is a sin like any other in that it flows from man's sinfulness, depravity. This fact offers hope for the homosexual. So it's not like it in its societal effects, but it is like all other sin in its root. That's what I'm saying again. Through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of God's Spirit, it is possible for the homosexual to abandon his sinful behavior. The Bible makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that through faith in Christ, homosexuality, like other sins, can be abandoned. And so here it is. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But notice, and that is what some of you were in the past, thanks be to God, but you are, were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so can homosexuals change? You cannot be true, you cannot be give fidelity to the Word of God and answer that question in anything other than the affirmative. If someone asks you, can homosexuals change, and you say no, then you've denied what the Bible says. The Bible says they can. So how does that happen? Top of page 23, the same way it happens with other sins. Did you notice in that list of sins that there were stuff that would, could fit for you or me? And then you've got homosexuality in there? But it's all lumped in together, and it all has the same solution to it, because it all has the same root. So how does one conquer immoral desires? So if we're counseling someone who's struggling with same-sex desires, struggling with homosexual behavior, how would we do that? Here's what we would do. We would ask them, do you believe that the Bible is God's Word? And do you believe that God's Word is sufficient for all of life and godliness as it claims to be? homosexuality is sin, Christ died for all sins, and the Holy Spirit can empower one to change according to the Bible. And then we understand and we apply biblical sanctification. One abandons and controls the sins of homosexuality the same as others through transformation that's produced by the renewing of the mind such that God's will can be accomplished. Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So by studying, learning, and applying the scriptures, the homosexual can become sanctified, that is set apart through God's truth. Jesus said the night before he was crucified, we have it quoted for you here. John 17, 17, sanctify them, set them apart by thy tr- your truth, the truth, your word is truth. Now, this is important, these last couple of sentences in that paragraph. Sanctification is the process whereby the sinner is gradually becoming holy. And notice I have gradually highlighted there. Why? Because as we think about people who struggle with this, and we have more and more of them who will and who need help, help that the gospel gives, help that biblical counsel provides. As we think about that, we've got to be clear about what biblical sanctification is. It is not always the case, and in my own experience, it is not most often the case that the life-dominating sins that most people come to salvation with are taken care of overnight. Sometimes they are. I know blessed testimonies where that's, where that's happened with people. But most of the time, that's not the way that happens. Now, notice I call it a life-dominating sin. It's sin like any other sin, but it's a sin that affects so many areas of your life. It's like a hub that's got spokes that go out on and it affects your relationships, and it affects your work life, and it affects your, uh, it, it affects your leisure, and it affects uh, all sorts of areas of your, of your life, a life-dominating sin. So alcohol could be one of those. And it affects your finances, and it affects all kinds of things. Most of the time, someone will struggle with that for years, maybe struggle with that for the rest of their life. But they are in the process of sanctification. It's, this is what theologians call it, progressive sanctification. And the progressive word is the gradually piece. That we are gradually becoming more and more like christ by ridding ourselves of these things with which we struggle but that's done on in the normal case on a gradual progressive basis so i go on to say here as he learns and applies god's truth his mind will slowly become new and his life will be transformed the homosexual may do battle with this sin for his entire life but through the spirit use of the Bible in his life, he can grow in Christ's likeness. Now, if you guys are awake and you're thinking, you might have a verse that comes to mind. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has, has come. So say that Paul says that 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, if that means, that at the moment you come to Christ, new creation means you no longer have sin, then none of us are Christians. Because we all still have sin. So here's what the new creation does. The new creation now has God, the Holy Spirit, living in the person, causing them to want to rid themselves of the former way of life. They have new desires. But that doesn't mean that everything changes overnight. I know this, not just because of my own experience, more importantly, the Apostle Paul's. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said about himself? The things I wanna do, I don't do. And the things I don't wanna do, those are the very things I do. So it's progressive in Paul's life, it's progressive in my life, it's progressive in your life. We are new creatures because we have new desires, and so we engage in the war against the flesh on a regular basis, to grow in Christ's likeness with whatever sin it is. So, we do not engage at our church and will not engage in our future counseling center in what's called reparative therapy. Have you guys ever heard that? Some of you might have heard that term. If you were to Google that, you'll get lots of stuff. And it's an accusation that is made against those of us who say people can change. Homosexuals can change. And so they dismiss it as pray away the gay. Have you ever ever heard that? Listen, I'm I'm talking about praying, but I'm not talking about overnight praying away the gay. I'm talking about the hard work of killing the flesh, the sin nature. So we're not talking about that. We had somebody on social media when they got our mailer. What is this, a pray away the gay thing? I answered them kindly. So people say that and then there's this reparative therapy idea and the idea there is that you move a person from having same sex desires to having heterosexual desires. Now, some people do that. Some of you might know the name Rosaria Butterfield and she's written, written a book called uh, Confessions of an Unlikely Convert. And she was a lesbian living with a woman for 12 years. And she was the head of a women's studies program at Syracuse University. She was as liberal and as feminist and lesbian as you could get. I mean, she just was. And God, in his good providence, brought her into contact with just a a simple pastor and his wife. Uh, A guy whose name, I only know his first name. His first name happens to be Ken. I don't even know the guy's last name. He's not a celebrity pastor. She just came across this couple. And they said, hey, uh, we would love to have you for dinner. And she started having dinner with them. And she started asking them questions. She was curious about these Christian people. She knew nothing about it. And over months of that, God began to work in her heart using the Word of God to save this woman. And she's she's got this remarkable testimony. Now, in her case, she's now married and has children. And, she, and she's married to a pastor. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Uh, so so thank, thanks be to God, that, that happens. But my goal is not that you certainly not overnight, if that happens, praise God, that you move from these desires to those desires, but rather that you desire to change. And then in your desire to change, we do that hard work of of sanctification and killing killing the flesh so that gradually you may indeed move toward uh, opposite sex desires. But reparative therapy says that that's what has to happen. And it forces the issue at times on people and has been harmful to people. So that's not what we do. Further, because this is gradual and this side of heaven, none of you, none of us will achieve perfect sanctification. Then our counsel to people is no form of perfectionism. Did you know that Christians over the centuries have at various times taught forms of what's called perfectionism? that you can, in this life, put away all of the, all of the sin in your life. It's, it's false, clearly false, according to the Bible, and, and is very harmful, because false. So it's not reparative theory, therapy, it is not perfection, but it is progressive sanctification. And it involves, middle of page 23, putting off sinful habits and practices. So these apply not to just homosexuality, but to any sin with which we struggle. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by people who tempt you. Determine to separate yourself from those people who do. Stay away from places that provide those temptations. So stores that make pornographic material, material easily accessible, other locations that have proven to have led to sin in the past. You know, if you're somebody who struggles with alcohol and you had haunts that you used to go to, don't drive that way okay? Drive a different direction. Don't go past that bar. Don't go past that party store, uh, all of that to keep you. Flee temptation, uh, the Bible teaches. So that's a way of doing that. Get rid of pornography. Get rid of your TV if necessary, the internet, the phone itself, if, if you have to. Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He, he talked about radical amputation you know, not physically, not literally cutting off an arm or plucking out an eye, but, and I know this because the apostles didn't pluck out their eyes or cut off their arms and all of them would have been eligible for that as would any of us. But Jesus said, if your, you know, right hand offends, you cut it off. You know, if your eye offends, you pluck it out. What he's saying is get rid of the stuff that is the impetus for the sin with which you struggle. So it means putting off, but then it means also putting on, developing that disciplined mind, committing oneself to studying, pondering, meditating, and responding positively to the authority of God's word. You practice other disciplines, the means of grace, and prayer, fellowship, church participation, and you make yourself accountable to another believer in the church. Meet regularly to discuss how well you're handling temptation. So the Bible strongly teaches that homosexual behavior is sinful. The Christian and homosexual lifestyles are incompatible. One should deal with homosexuality like any other sin through salvation and by pursuing biblical progressive sanctification. Now, we have one session left next week. And I want to next week give you Some additional paperwork so you guys can line your birdcages with the stuff you have now. And on it, I'll have some questions for us to discuss. And then also some resources that we will have for you in the resource center related to what we've been talking about. But those questions have to do with how do you handle family issues. We've talked some about that. How do you handle workplace issues? And then importantly, uh, how do we interact as citizens with the government in terms of laws that affect these areas? We want to see human flourishing occur. And so I will make the case that we want to see laws advanced that do that, that advance human flourishing. Where does our idea of what human flourishing is come from? from? It comes from God's Word people are going to object. Well, that means you're imposing the Bible upon me. We are imposing portions of what the Bible says upon you. I say portions. We're not advocating passing laws that say you have to attend church every Sunday, although that's not a bad idea either, but, but we're not advocating that. But we are advocating for laws that are informed by the Christian faith through the sacred scriptures that promote human flourishing. And to the opponent who says, who are you to cram your morality down my throat, my answer is, who do you have to be? Who do you have to be in a democracy? I get to advocate for laws just like you do. And I can turn the thing around to you and say, who are you to cram your morality down our throats? In the marketplace of ideas, that's what we do, and we are blessed to live in a system where we have free speech and we can advocate and we can advocate for laws that we think are best for human flourishing and the others can as well and where we ought to do that we're blessed to to do it is at, at the ballot box and promote people who will promote what's best for our children and for and for families and so we all choose what it is we think needs to be enforced based upon the values that we bring to it from whatever source those are Christians should not and, and, and cannot be removed from the discussion, which is what many people want to do. You can do this, what I'm advocating, we'll talk about more next week, but you can do this without being a full-blown Christian nationalist. A Christian nationalist is somebody who wants to make this a Christian nation. Um, there is no such thing as a Christian nation this side of heaven and Jesus returning to set up his kingdom, okay? So we're not trying to create a Christian nation. All we're trying to do is create a better nation (laughs) that promotes human flourishing based upon the truth of what God says and what is best uh, for our children and all of our citizens. So we'll talk more about that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of this Lord's Day and the opportunity to Look into your word in the book of Psalms and to be reminded there of how our hearts are easily uh, distracted because we look uh, not to you and not to your word, not to your people, but we look at the world and we envy the world and we want to be like it and it draws us away. We thank you, Lord, that because we are your children, you always chase us down. You always come after us. You always bring us back. And so thank you for that important reminder. Thank you for this time to be able to consider this monumental issue with which we are presented in our culture today and the deviation from your norm for sexuality and how it is presenting itself and in a very public way and in ways that are affecting uh, the lives of everyone in in our country. And so Lord, we want to play a constructive role in that. Most of all, we want to be beacons of light, we want to be people who are known for compassion, people who love those with whom we disagree, and be able to present the good news of Jesus Christ, and then the change that he makes in, in allegiances and priorities and values. And Lord, as a result of that, then people begin to change, and they change their lifestyles as well, and we bring glory to, to you as a result. So Lord, we would ask for that. We would ask that revival would happen in our land, that people in large numbers would come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would be changed for eternity, and that that would have an effect now. But only you can do this. In the meanwhile, Lord, help us to be faithful to the process that you've given us. Go with us this week as we seek to do that in the places that you've assigned. Bring us back together next Lord's Day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.